the discourse, we are being joined by uh, journalists and prolific tweeter, friend of the show. I think you're the only one who's ever been on three times. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, Owen Higgins. Hey, what's up, everybody? How are you doing? And they can't respond, Owen. That's the, how the media right, right, works. Right. It's, it's fine. Don't worry about it. If you did respond, uh, drop a drop a comment <laughs> so we can all enjoy the next episode. But no, yeah, I was going to say, I you know, I, despite my uh, dismissal of the DNC, whatever they're doing, I do have to keep abreast of local races. And did you guys hear that Laura Loomer managed One. to well, win her primary for Republican House Florida seat 21? That wasn't in the right order, but whatever. You know what I'm trying yeah. to say? Yeah, uh, I mean, it just happened, right? It just happened. Yeah. It just happened. Uh, first reactions, Owen. Um, looking forward to her keynoting the DNC in eight years. <laughs> I think I think she's going to be our first woman president, honestly. I think she's going to run against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in like 20, I don't know, 68, whatever year, whatever hell year we'll be in. And I think she's going to run on a Republican ticket. I think her VP is going to be uh, Jacob Wall. And I think that she's going to usher in the a new age of America, American greatness. Uh, she's going to usher in some kind of era, for sure. It's amazing. I mean, like, this is all because she didn't, she wants her, tw- like you said, because she wants her Twitter account back. Could you imagine being freed from Twitter and, like, launching a whole campaign just to, just get, to it get it back? back <laughs> I mean, she chained herself to the building, you know. But I thought that was just a stunt, like a stunt to like, you know, get, you know, just like to get a following. But she seems to actually want to come back. Usually people get, you know, take getting banned on Twitter. Well, some of them as like their cue to, I don't know, run the uh, the right wing circuit media grift of like Ruben. um, Has she been on Rogan yet? Who? Loomer? No, she's too fucking Hmm. crazy for him, I think. She's been on Infowars for sure. Yeah. Well, this is neither here nor there. I don't want to linger on Loomer. Let's move into the meat of the episode. Owen, you've been doing some work at The Intercept, you know, on and off, a few pieces here and there for a while. And your new piece on the case of Alex Morse, I don't know how else to put it, because it has a a level of intrigue, subterfuge, espionage, which is co-authored with Ryan Grimm and I believe one other journalist over at Intercept. Daniel Bogusla. We invite you on to talk a little bit about that and also the implications of that, considering that it is kind of, you know, deeply interwoven with the you know idea of electoralism the idea of working with the democratic party with the idea of you know progressivism as a viable you know i guess you could say entity within a larger democratic party so why don't we i guess start at the beginning yeah um so morse and neil his opponent rep richard neil and and many politicians will do this they you know they just have like one class they teach and they're really just a glorified lecturer i'm sure the teacher's assistants really do the work TAs do the work. It's kind of like having like a celebrity, you know, lead the class. Uh, but Morris is 31 now. Uh, he became mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts, near where I am originally from, um, when he was 22. So he, he's always been a young guy um, and, you know, used to use, or still I'm sure uses, uh, Tinder and Grindr uh, to get dates and has dated a number of, of men in the area, including young men who may or may not be in school at the five colleges, including at UMass, where he had been lecturing. Um, none of these people were his students or anyone that he had any authority over, and nobody has claimed that they were, or that there was any anything non-consensual, or that there was any uh, pressure or anything. So 
Daniel brought this story to The Intercept and also to me. And, you know, there are a lot of questions going on about, you know, this uh, statement by the UMass College Democrats alleging that he had acted improperly with students. Uh, all that has been claimed is that, you know, you were a lecturer and you slept with students in the area. Um, but the vague allegation that basically said what I just said, but were used to kind of propel this smear campaign that was picked up by a number of national outlets and figures. And what Daniel discovered first was like there was some impropriety, like they may have talked to a lawyer called Jim Roosevelt, uh, who was connected to the state party to help. And also that, you know, a lot of these students uh, had connections to uh, Neil and to other establishment Democrats. So, so, so Daniel and Ryan worked on two stories kind of looking into the students. Um, and meanwhile, I started looking into the connections to the Massachusetts Democrats. And on Thursday, August 13th, when I was like not intending to work, I was actually hanging out with my family, um, my, my extended family, um, I stumbled into finding out that not only Roosevelt, who is uh, the Massachusetts Democrat lawyer, but two of the Massachusetts Democrat heads um, were involved and read into the situation and had um, referred Roosevelt to the students. I was able to confirm it. So that kind of propelled the scandal into like overdrive because at this point now it's like the allegations are kind of vague. It looks like there's been a plot to do this for a long time. And now it turns out that the state Democratic Party, which is supposed to be neutral and really has nothing to do with this race, stepped in and facilitated this hit. We published that on Friday and over the weekend, people in the Democratic State Committee, the DSC, in Massachusetts uh, were getting really, really pissed off and more and more angry and angry at Gus Bickford, the president or the chair of the Mass Dems, and Veronica Martinez Roman, the executive director, as well as Roosevelt, the general counsel, um, who may or may not serve on a volunteer basis. It's, it's still not clear. Uh, Roosevelt, by the way, is a big DNC guy. He actually just opened the Rules Committee uh, meeting that they're having right now. Uh, he, he's connected to the party in myriad ways. He, he also is the grandson of FDR. So over the weekend, I, you know, we, we were all pursuing the story and, and, and stayed on it. And I was able to confirm that Martinez Roman asked student leaders who she had been in contact with to delete communications from her. So not only was this impropriety, this something that's at the very least unethical, complete violation of the rules and standards of the, uh, of, of what the party's supposed to do, but then to confirm that she was trying to cover it up as well, uh, kind of like just takes it to a different level. Oh, there was also a, uh, a Facebook group called A Case for Women, or it's a law firm, sorry. They, they put ads on Facebook. The head of which, um, as Daniel found out, contributed a lot of money to, uh, you know, establishment types. Um, and of course, you know, Ryan was, was following the um, way that the College Democrats kept on discussing 
the situation in their chat logs and people were getting angry and, and upset and didn't understand how this had happened. So the whole thing has just turned into a complete mess. Um, it's one of the most utterly bungled hits I've ever seen in my life, which is great for me because, you know, I've gotten to be part of breaking these huge stories about it. Um, I mean, it was planned by college students, so, I mean, you can only accept a certain level of uh, competency. Well, that's the thing, was it? As far as we know, it was planned I by hope college so. students, yeah. I mean... Right, but as far as we know... Yes, as Spearheaded, we'll say spearheaded, right? You know, soft, soft yeah. spearheading, maybe with a little, uh, you know, gentle kiss on the cheek from the Democratic Party establishment at the state level. Well, I would say there's more than that. I would say them stepping in and saying, hey, use our, use our lawyer is a little bit more than a pat on the back. That's, that's direct involvement in court. Well, yeah, I mean, I recall, and so, so finding out, uh, I'm sort of finding out about the story going backwards, right? So I missed the initial wave of outrage regarding the, you know, accusations about dating students, you know, and then sort of like the conversation that happened around like age gap dating and dating students and that occurs every two weeks, only for on the back end for it to be much more insidious than just the, uh, you know, the normal faffing about that goes on on Twitter, right? Uh and so, like, before we move into more esoteric topics related to this, like, I wonder what the fallout's been for this so far, right? So, uh, Alex Morse is a member of the Democratic Party. He's running as a candidate under their banner. And it seems as though they had a more or less direct hand in trying to... Sabotage um, his campaign. Sabotage campaign, right? Uh, so, I wonder, like, how has that relationship continued on if there's been any sort of, like, actual... Uh, recompense on the part of the Democratic Party. Although, I don't know what that would be, right? Oops, we tried to sabotage your campaign and then we got caught. <laughs> so here's like, I don't know, an edible arrangement or we stole Nikki Haley's nephew's uh, popcorn uh, factory shit. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what that would actually mean, but has there at least been some sort of like, I don't know, attempt to make good there? I don't think so. Um, I think that my understanding is that the state Democratic Party is trying to do some damage control here and make sure that they don't get hit by any more buses, basically. Um, they are certainly trying to throw the kids under the bus, the, the students, uh, not directly, but by, by implication of everything that they're saying. Um, am not clear on how they can possibly say anything uh, like to, to pretend that they have any kind of neutrality at this point. Um, apparently, Bickford and Martinez are acting as if they have done nothing wrong. That That is their position, that they have done nothing wrong. Um, and they're just trying to kind of like push on through it, not admit any fault and just, just kind of say this has been misunderstood or, you know, we're oh, they're going to have like an investigation or something. I mean, you know, like there's no, it, it's not a very serious attempt at making things better, but I don't think that's really what they're trying to do. They're just trying to cover their own asses. Um, I mean, I thought I thought after our Friday story that we would see resignations, we didn't. I thought after our Monday story, our Monday story with the, with the leadership telling college Democrats to destroy their communications records, I thought that at least Martinez Roman would, would resign. No, no, nope, nothing. Um, you know, I you know I grew up in Massachusetts, so this is not super surprising to me that there's no accountability here. Um, 
It is kind of stunning to see it so explicit, though. Alex Morse was a new political figure to me, right? I'm not from Massachusetts. I I grew up in New York City. Um, so I often like pretend that Massachusetts doesn't exist when I, you know, when I think about the landscape of the United States of America. So, you know, part of, you know, understand. I would say I would say that that the part of Massachusetts that we're talking about and the part of Massachusetts that I grew up in is the part of Massachusetts that you people from New York think of as your kind of little summer home up in the in the north. I don't like summer. I'm more of a winter guy. Uh, but that being okay. said, you know, it's, it's where you guys go. Sw- it's where you guys go skiing. I was going to say swimming. I can't swim. Not for the reason you're thinking. I'm too dense. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the muscle. It's like Vermont, basically. Oh, okay. Like just consider it part of Vermont. I, I, I'll do that. You know. But anyway, you know. So Alex Morse was a new figure to me. So part of learning about like what was going on within the Democratic Party in Massachusetts was, you know, learning about kind of it, why it seems like this was going on. It seems as though it was because of his political stances, right? It was. Well, I'm not. I'm you know. I'm not 100 percent that it's exactly his politics as much as it's a desire to protect the incumbent. Who, yeah, I mean, because. Richie Neal is is one of the most powerful people in Washington. He's the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. I mean, it's like one of the most powerful positions in Congress. Um, so up until we broke the story of, of the scandal, uh, up, up until Daniel and Ryan started to, and then when I got into the story too, like I think that Richie was probably going to win. Now, I think that they might have blown it. Well, that makes me definitely think the Democrats were involved. Once right, you, right, once yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Once you tell me <laughs> that, that, that's all the evidence I need to see, Jack. <laughs> like they could have done nothing. Yeah. Right, and just skated and walked. Right. Right, I mean, like, this is the, the thing where I talk about the DNC convention earlier. I mean, the thing that they could have done is just done nothing, had Biden and Kamala and Jill Biden stand up, and instead they're like, no, you know what, we need Colin Powell. We need, uh, we need every single right-wing governor that we can get our hands on. Otherwise... Who knows what might happen? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't yeah. know. Good. No, 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 no. It was just general agreement noise. I was going to say, you know, like, I, I think liberals watch too much television. And so they like they just generally like the idea of, like, a super friends style team up between, like, Reed Richards and Dr. Doom to take down Galactus Trump. You know, like, I think that makes them, like, feel fulfilled in their politics. If they feel fulfilled in their sort of, like... Uh, choice to be a Democrat that way, even though it's, I mean, it's less because the Democratic Party is making any principal stand against Trump and more because the Democratic Party is becoming less and less <laughs> distinguishable from the Republican Party, at least the parts that people really care about or those people really care about, which is hurting poor people. So, I right. mean, it, it's, a, it's a weird, but like, but when you put it into the context, and I don't want to get too like a fluffy duffy pop culture analysis, but you know, I, it seems just like a way to like fulfill that itch of like validating the ego by having your enemies team up with you to fight a bigger baddie that you see in, in like the Avengers and any other, other stupid shit that people like slop up. Like, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I love dumb shit. I love the Meg. I talk, I'm still talking about the Meg, and it's almost two years later, but you know, at the end of the Meg, uh, Jason stayed in them team up with a big shark to take on a, a bigger shark or some sort of space shark it would have been awesome had he did but i you know that's not what happened they just killed it so you know the whole game of <laughs> joining forces with republican party yeah, but, you to can, but you can understand you can understand the appeal i mean that would have been really cool to watch 
it would have been and i i would have been clapping my hands together like a like a horny harp seal had happened but you know that's not reality right so you know the idea of like joining forces with your enemy or the enemy of my enemy is my friend is you know oftentimes just like a way to scratch your own ego like to go oh yeah like i i like i was so convincing or i was so uh persuasive my point though but about the because i think you made an interesting point about the, about the incumbency in massachusetts issue but i would point to the fact that we know also in massachusetts i believe although all those states up there kind of become fuzzy to me that nancy pelosi and this is obviously different distinct from the state massachusetts party of democrats uh donated to a primary candidate J joe kennedy the third you know the lesser right you know we so like we know that the her packed in her, her, her super yeah it, it it is a little distinct. Like, did they do it without her permission? I find that hard to believe. But well, I mean, even if it wasn't Nancy Pelosi's express permission, it you know I don't believe she chastised them, and I think that you know I I would consider Nancy Pelosi's super PAC to be ingratiated with the the Democratic Party establishment, right? To the point, to the point in which that you can consider what they're doing to be uh you know a little bit of a weather vane for like what is and is not acceptable, right? Because it's Nancy Pelosi's super PAC, so you know. But I would I say they just you know obviously they're playing by a slightly different set of rules because I, I I mean I recall a conversation that they had about unity and like how anyone who worked for someone trying to primary an incumbent was going to be blacklisted and yet here we are you know in what in the same state we have one primary challenger being supported and the other being the victimized by a, a honeypot operation essentially <laughs> yeah I mean it. it it's quite amazing to me. It's just, it's so blatantly, like you said, it's like somebody watched too many television episodes and this is what they came up with. Oh no, certainly. And it's interesting. This is all taking place in the, the sort of the context of a uh, democratic party that is trying to unite itself. Right. You know, like there is this big effort being pushed by various, you know, components of the democratic party. And so far there are different factions uh, to give the, you know the the big tent thing one more try right <laughs> and we are in the middle of the dnc to crown joe biden as the candidate and there seems to be an effort at least in my opinion to squeeze out elements and prevent elements of the left from working in good faith within the democratic party and you know it seems almost like you mentioned in the case of Alex Morris, they can do this entirely in plain sight. And yet there's no real, you know, I would say scandal, no resignations. And I mean, do you think it's being overshadowed by the larger narrative of like, well, whatever happens, happen. We have to we just have to stick with the party or is it just like people aren't paying attention in this case? I mean, I think I think it's kind of both. This is just not this. This one case is like so blatant. And they fucked it up so bad that it's a national story because they couldn't, you know, because they just blew it. But, like, the, this is just, it's like nothing new, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is just kind of, like, this has been going on my whole life. Um, you know, like, they expect anybody to the left of Obama pretty much to vote in lockstep with the Democratic Party without question and eat shit and not ever have any opportunity to demand anything better. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why four years ago and this year when, uh, you know, relatively moderate by any sane political standards guy, uh, you know, almost wins the nomination, they have to shut it down because 
the party's gone so far to the right, and they can't allow the progressive or left movement to have any any kind of chance to get a, a foothold in the party. And look, you know, if we look at what the DNC is going on right now, it, it is exactly, uh, it, it, it is so blatantly obvious what they want the party to be. And, and it has been, it's been obvious for quite a while, uh, you know, for, for the last 20 years at least, that what the Democrats really want is they, they have always just wanted to be the Bush-era GOP without the crazy evangelical shit. But that's always what they've wanted. And now they, now they have it. Now they've got it. So we'll see I what think- happens. We'll see if, if that works um, to win the election. I mean, my fear is, well, not my fear, but like, my, like one of the political ramifications of a Biden win that I fear and that I expect is that he will win because Trump is such a complete disaster and the virus has, is going to have killed like a quarter million people at least by election day. You, and, you can say it. you can say it. The virus cucked America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Especially like with those Wuhan pictures. The economy. Ooh, yeah, those Wuhan pictures are hard, are hard to look at. Who Americans are gaslighting themselves hard tonight about those that Wuhan pool party? Yeah. So, you know, like I just think that I, I just think that he's gonna win, and he might even win in a landslide because of how badly Trump and the GOP have fucked this one up, and the conventional political wisdom in dc which is how they're going to justify all of this shit is going to be look americans didn't want progressive left wing they wanted good solid moderate middle of the road slightly right wing democrats that's it they wanted a little bit more racism and yeah i, I mean god bless them further for it but i don't think it's practical racism aside we have a, a ticking time bomb when it comes to climate change and i would mean like i would argue like the a ticking time bomb that already went off in our laps in the form of coronavirus or covid19 rather so i mean i would imagine it's hard to well, it's, i would say imagine it's hard they are ignoring that lesson so far but i think to your point and this is something i've been thinking about too recently is how interesting in my opinion it is that they managed to construct what you just described right I still think that your everyday like rank and file, like just, you know, I don't know, uh, the good place watching liberal has good political impulses, right? They believe that in anti-racism, they believe in like, you know, whatever they might think it is. They, you know, they believe in feminism. They want to see the first woman president. They have like these sort of like good impulses. I think that a, a lot of them were mobilized or radicalized or organized various things, right, against the police. But I think generally speaking, where they fail is that whatever their political impulses are, they end up outsourcing their memory and outsourcing their morality and outsourcing just their idea of what is like practical, you know, practically possible within like the political, not even just the political world, but just like the real actual world, what the government can do, like what is what is possible when it comes to a lot of these like infrastructural or systemic changes that are needed. And they just outsource it right to the Democratic Party, who just tells them that no good things well, are possible. What's interesting, though, is like the, the memory holding of things. Like today I was listening to a podcast and they had, I'm not going to say which one, but they had on a guest. And the guest was talking about how, you know, she she likes Camilla because of what Camilla is saying. She's, she's not paying attention to anything from the, her past runs. She just likes what she's done in the past year. And it's like you mean the past year. That could be any podcast. That could that could well, be that, that could be any podcast. And it was just like this is a guest who's an expert on politics, 
and like like you know studies the, the topics and studies the actual texts and like reads about it and learns about it and they were saying like oh yeah no no i don't pay attention to what she's saying now it's what she's what or what she's done in the past it's what she's saying now that interests interest me and i'm just like well that's the democratic party that's it that's right there well you know i i guess i you know i have two comments on that um on, on what on what both of you have said and i guess the first one is like to the point about like better things aren't possible the problem with making that argument at this point and the problem that whoever is the next president or, or, or whether Trump gets another term or, what, term or whatever, is that you can't say that anymore because people have seen that better things are mm-hmm. possible. And here's the thing about that, is that it doesn't matter that that's what they're going to do. It's not going to work because people have seen that when they need the money, the money shows up. And this is different than the financial crisis. This is different than bailing out the banks. This is the government found four fucking trillion dollars in two seconds to be able to bail out these companies and stop people from basically going to the point where they were just going to be starving in the streets and rioting. People saw that, and that you can't put that shit back in the bottle. Not for, not for a generation, at least. And so they're going to have to handle that. They're going to have to deal with that on some level. And I don't know how they're going to deal with it. It's going to be really shitty, whatever they do. But the fact is that that stuff is already out there and it's going to be really hard to walk that back. Yeah, I agree with you. Even more, I would go further. It's not even what people have seen as possible. It's just about at a certain point, what is going to be necessary after another four or five months of COVID. It's not going to just go away, right? Biden is going to have to just do certain things to just keep the lights on, right? Keep people out of the streets. What that happens to be and whether it'll be enough is debatable, but there might just be things he has to do. When it comes to your earlier point about the Democratic Party wanting to be like a sort of a slightly more tolerable or nostalgified version of the G. I think that has to do with the way they've conditioned their voters now, which the Democratic Party voters, no matter what their impulses are, what they might want, whether it be to break the glass ceiling or even to have universal health, you know, lying aside, right, for which candidate supports those things, you know, I think they have managed to mind flood them to the point where they've conditioned them to think that they have to vote like this fake construct of the suburban mom or like the, you know, the never Trumper columnist, like these, you know, more or less either unwinnable or just on like completely made up uh you know populations that are supposed to be the like the manifestation of real american when it's really just the like the ideal democratic voter and like no matter what they might particularly want themselves like they just like sort of start preemptively compromising to the point of like okay well i'm just the middle of the road gop voter right they have a party of you know mixed values but they've managed to create like the at least a primary voter class of people who are just like preemptively settling for a gop like candidate and i think that part is the frightening thing whether we could i mean i think joe biden could walk through this in his sleep which is might be the only way he walks through it but you know we've talked about it before on the show they you know they could have just made it kamala harris I mean, honestly, they could have put Kamala Harris top of the ticket. You know, they could have put, like, they could have done a little something more for, like, their diehard stands, than, but they didn't. They didn't even feel like they had to bother, right? Well, and that, even if, that's, but again, I think, I think that's a misreading of, of the situation. A, a, a different, well, I think it's a different one because why would they put Kamala Harris on the top of the ticket? Who does she appeal to? 
We found out in the primary she doesn't it appeal to, to, the, to them. That's the thing. By though. herself. Like she won the Hamptons primary. They want another Obama, essentially, right? And part of that appeal is being able to kind of weaponize the identity. Part of that appeal is being able to, like, weaponize a certain coolness factor, right? I think what sunk Kamala Harris more than anybody not wanting her was a certain level of just, like, incompetence that comes when the Democratic Party latches themselves onto you too early. From my perspective, the Joe Biden-Kamala Harris campaign is just a preemptive capitulation. It's a, it's a capitulation on the even, like, the most surface level values of the democratic party for i mean i would argue really no gain like having joe Biden top of ticket doesn't just doesn't benefit anybody right like like no one really wants joe biden to be there nobody and like, and this, and, but that i think speaks to just how like sad how sad the party's become it's like who really wanted joe biden to be there besides joe biden Right. Like, I mean, at the beginning, like, I'm sure he was a, a hard second choice for like the the wealthy class. But, you know, people weren't expecting his campaign to go forever. He was a placeholder for someone to like to step in who could theoretically keep the, the torch going a little bit longer uh, and subvert Bernie. But like, it's just a weird time. Don't don't worry about it. It's a it's a very weird time. And I I'm just glad we're all sitting here together and not watching the DNC. Yeah, me too. Like it's I have I haven't even seen anyone like. I haven't seen any, any interesting articles about it either. Like, it just seems as though everyone is kind of just, like, forcing themselves to watch it. <laughs> like, they just feel like it's something they have to do. Well, the thing is, the, the, the DNC, the Democratic National Convention is always boring. The Republican one is yeah, always shit boring show. Anyone because the party has just been going more and more insane over the years. But, like, the last, the last entertaining, the last thing at the DNC that was, like, surprising and... And, and 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 entertaining was like the 2004 Obama speech, which was like a, a just like he, you know he he arrived like like this guy like was like speaking like you're listening to me like holy shit like this guy can like give a speech, you know let's set aside everything else about him like this guy is probably the most talented. Uh, no, absolutely. I think you uh, can say yeah. Go ahead. In in of my lifetime, and 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 maybe. I don't know how far back he would have to go, but like, just really incredible. And I remember in two thousand and four, just being like, "Holy shit!" Um, and then in '08, you know, like, it it, it it wasn't that entertaining, but like everybody just hated Bush so much that it was it was so cathartic to like have uh, not Bush and not somebody who had voted for the Iraq War because he wasn't in Congress, but uh, who who hadn't and. But then, you know, like 2016, I mean, what did the DNC have in 2016? There's like that image of like Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, like looking up at the uh, confetti coming down. Mm. That's it. And the then this one. Code. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sick thing I don't even want to know about. Uh, and then in tw- and then this one, you know, this one's all via Zoom. And like the, like the only thing, it just looks like without without the necessary like, interesting kind of human drama of people being kind of all in one place i'm trying to struggling how to say this correctly like there's there's a certain energy and drama and unpredictability about shoving tens of thousands of people into one arena while they engage in politics like this, where you're nominating someone, that 
you know, it doesn't usually happen, but it allows for like some unpredictable and weird moments. But this one is just on Zoom, so basically it's like the most controlled Democrat convention. It's being run by Tom Perez, who is like literally a fucking dish rag. Like there's no other way to really describe him. He's just the the most just like wet man on the planet. And he never and, like, resigned after right. Iowa. Speaking of not resigning, oh after, yeah, like, I mean after fucking that's Travis, a, that's a whole. We don't even yeah, we don't even talk about Iowa anymore. That basically everyone that just got consigned away. That's why I say you know eventually like, Trump is going to rig the election using like shadow <laughs> and acronym, and the Democrats aren't going to be able to say anything. Because it's fucking no, crazy. Because like yeah. Oh go my god. Yeah. Or 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 there'll be like some other. I mean, okay. I'll go off on this tangent. In, in 2016, NGP Van, which is and uh, um, Vote Builder, the Democratic uh, like database. Um, Vote Builder aggregates voter information. NGP aggregates and, and just provides a whole bunch of different services to um, the Democratic Party. Okay, so that's established, right? So in 2016, I was tipped off to uh, the fact that this was like shortly after the the hacks became public, right? The the Clinton okay. campaign hacks, the, yeah, yeah, all of the emails, the WikiLeaks stuff. There are a lot of hacks on the Clinton campaign. Oh, right, they, yeah, they were. But what this person that I was talking to, who was a uh, a Sanders, uh, a member of the Sanders team. Um, was that he, he was just like, yeah, like it's certainly possible that like they were caught by a phishing scheme, um, which by the way, it, it appears that they were. But the point is that NGP Van, like their security was so porous that you could get into this system and then just like run roughshod across the entire thing. You could, you could enter a, an, an, a, a password that was regularly left up on a whiteboard unchanged for months um, in a volunteer area. So you could log into this thing as an admin and then just start going fucking crazy changing shit. Um, anyway, why am I bringing this up? I can't completely remember, but it basically has something to do with the fact that like everything about the Democrats and everything that they do and is, is just like completely inept and other than punching left. It's completely inept and doesn't really work. And, what and we're shady seeing, as fuck. But what we're seeing right now, yeah, and this, this Alex Moore stuff too, but what we're seeing right now in the convention is what the perfect world for the Democratic Party is. This is exactly the way that they want things to be. This is the most stage-managed version of their party and how they want to present their party to the rest of the world or the rest of the country. And it's the most cringe shit I've ever seen. It's fucking unwatchable. Like, like, this is what it's like without the... Yeah, so now I'm getting back to my point. So without the chaos and the unpredictability and the, and the interesting parts of having the convention have actual human beings packed in like sardines into a huge center where they can be talking to press and talking shit about each other and getting into fights and, like, whatever. Like, this is how fucking boring it is. This is what they want. And it just makes me fucking depressed, man. That's all. That's kind of... Yeah. That's the end of my rant. No, I mean, they, they want a one-party system, but the party sucks. Right. Like, you know, it's a Nick Cannon party, and it don't stop. And so, you know, you don't, you don't want to be there. I think he's a hotep now. But, uh, Not the, the anti well, he's, it, well, there's some anti-Semitism, right, or something like that? You, we, you don't, you don't want to open that sarcophagus. You know, I, no, I, I honestly don't, don't even know. Like, like I, 
I, I heard he got fired. I, I was not really like paying attention to that whole thing when it happened. So for it's, it's for the best. I mean, I, I stopped paying attention when he had the rap beef with Eminem, and I was like, I'm, I'm checking out of this. <laughs> uh, although I might make the people on the show watch Drumline with me, so we can do a review. Oh God, don't make me do that. <laughs> Drumline is great. I just remember how he can't read music, and so he like he just learned like he just learned how to like visually memorize the fucking like every song, which seems so much harder than learning <laughs> to read music. music. Yeah, <laughs> learning to read music would be like oh yeah. So you just have to like basically remember literally every step, like with photographic memory, like the Taskmaster. Like just, Drumline like, is still a shit though. Sorry, Drumline. It is. Like, see, he maybe yeah. he should only come back for a fourth time to be on the Drumline episode. See, I will. Like, I will come back for Drumline for sure. You signed your, It's better than the one where he plays like the cop who infiltrates like the the prep school, like Twenty One Jump Street. We're getting off track. Now, speaking of tangents, we're going on a Nick Cannon. Yeah, how did we get there? But. The point I was going to make before Nick Cannon uh, was, yeah, I mean, like, they this this is what we've been saying about the coronavirus for a while. Like, it was the best thing that happened to the Biden campaign. Biden got to go into his little bunker back in March, it seems. And I think what you're feeling, not only just, like, the, the general malaise of not having the electricity of the, you know, the in-person convention, is that everyone just seems to be phoning it in. Everyone just seems to be kind of, like, going through the motions, and I don't know why that is per se or maybe it's just me maybe i just feel like everyone is going through the motions but people feel actually invested in what i would say is just a continuation of you know some of the worst patterns so weird to have you mentioned that the 2004 and 2008 conventions like both times people were theoretically afraid of i mean tired of bush's shit but now bush's been you know colin powell was speaking tonight carl rove dick cheney i don't know bagul the eater of children oh like the, the hits from the bush administration are headlining the fucking uh dnc uh while people are still are like relitigating ralph nader it which doesn't even make any sense and it's just like and then you realize that like you can you can have a that we live in a country that can have where people can have a conversation about how like Ralph Nader ruined the 2000 election by spoiling it just because he wasn't in the just because he was outside Democratic Party to their left he became this huge spoiler but the Bush administration because they played within like the boundaries of the the, the two party system and I guess the new Democratic Party establishment uh, ideological boundaries which include the Bush administration like he can be rehabilitated which doesn't even make any sense how can you be mad that someone gave Gave you a presidential administration that you like but of course it, it, it's possible because the bigger sin is just deviating from the status quo apparently more so than like the iraq war more so than maybe even the coronavirus if uh you know trump if this if trump gets the same treatment yeah, which he will i mean it's almost guaranteed that he will and, and and not only will trump get the same treatment but much like elliot abrams is now running south american policy again you'll see jared kushner running healthcare policy again yeah yeah i i i uh I wrote something about this two thousand, like three, almost four years ago now, um, about how Bush was being rehabilitated, and what I found was like if you go back, because I remembered some of this, but I but I didn't remember all of it. Like I went back to like the the two thousands, and what were Democrats saying in the two thousands? They were like, you know, George W. Bush, you know, he is he is the greatest threat to this country that we have ever known. But his dad was an honorable yeah. man, and we really miss it. And then so you go back to H.W. To, to Bush. You know, we cannot give this guy another term. You know, he has ruined the economy. He also killed JFK. We didn't. Well, yeah. Well, with right. Ted Cruz's dad. A lot but, of people killed JFK. Right. Let's be fair. So they, you know, they're, they're like, you know, and, and, and that's very sad. But 
and, and, and we don't like that. And yes, it's true, you know, that he, he he's Reagan's successor. But, like, you know, the one thing about Reagan was, like, at least you can say that he loved the country. And then, I like, I wasn't able to find anything from people being during Reagan being like, I miss Nixon. But that's probably because that <laughs> was just a little bit too much. But, you know, by, by, the, t- by the fucking mid-90s, man, they were talking about... They were talking about like like Nixon as if he was, uh, or even in the eighties they did this too. It was more conservative media, but uh, it's just like it's the, it's this constant rehabilitation of of these people. And anyway, I have I have a lot more to say on that, but I'm I'm gonna hold that back for now. No, I mean I I waver on this point sometimes as well. Like I don't, before coronavirus, it seemed as though there was going to be a concerted effort to give Trump an actually competitive election just by making it as like making the Democratic lineup as shitty as possible. Now it seems like it's a walk, but you know, ultimately speaking, I I waver between Trump being just like a footnote in history because the Republican Party used this as a way to pivot into like their new come to Jesus moment and then mop the floor with the Democratic Party in 2024 with some nonsense candidate that is just as bad as Trump, uh, but can sort of like put up the airs a little bit more for the media and for the Democratic Party. I, I What I wasn't expecting with coronavirus was rather I wasn't prepared for people outside of just the general political conversation to become a because they become hyper aware of how lacking our infrastructure actually is which they were made by coronavirus right our health care now our postal service our roads you know any number of things that are now affecting their lives differently that they could sort of hand wave away before are being revealed to just be like garbage shit and like why do you pay your taxes but but i think you know, i think i think people always knew that though i think i think people have always known that and i think that what is different now again i think it comes back to like it, it's it's not that they it's that they just expected that that's the way that they, they they were like okay that's just the way it is you know that's just like the government just can't do anything correctly and so that's just the way it is and like that you know our infrastructure is falling apart because the government can't do it etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's why i think that that what we've seen from uh from this from these stimulus plans is has been such a big deal because now people are like I think I think what you're like you're right that people are seeing it as like one thing now, but like they're also seeing it as like this is something that that actually can be changed and doesn't have to be uh, just like the way that things are. Like we can actually, you know, this this can actually be changed. And I think that's why people are becoming in 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 certain ways are like people across the country are becoming like radicalized because they are now understanding that they don't have to just accept this bullshit they can actually demand more so we'll see how hard the democratic party fights to tamp that down because they will but we'll see i mean yeah i feel by concern right because i agree people have always known at least in the back of their mind although it was recurringly at the front of their mind that infrastructure was so terrible but now under coronavirus that's become like a more oppressive thing that can't you know sort of it's become a lot more life-threatening at least for a lot, a largest swath of the population. And I agree. I think the Democratic Party with Joe Biden is showing that they're not going to actually, you know, the infrastructural lacking has been made 
incredibly visible. They are not going to try to correct it in any meaningful way. They're going to slap another Band-Aid on it. And, you know, as the post office continues to sort of like lurch towards a slow, painful death. And my guess, my fear is, you know, was kind of embodied a little bit by the Trump campaign of 2016 of him. He, he made references to infrastructure and how much money we were wasting abroad on the Bush, on Bush the lessers uh, fucking war in Iraq. And that resonated with some of them a lot more than I would have said it would have resonated with Republicans uh, prior to him doing it. And, you know, what is American infrastructure going to look like in four more years after coronavirus, after a few more months? Like, what like what is it going to take for uh, another Democrat, I mean, another Republican uh, to come in after the Democratic Party has like tamped out any any like progressives within their own primary uh what's it going to take for a republican to come out and say hey you know what yeah i mean i may not be in front of for, in favor of medicare for all or or universal free public college but you know what i can definitely bring back the post office <laughs> you know i can definitely make a you know like i'll make bringing back the post office for you good americans the send you know the one of the pillars of our society a main campaign strategy and like shit like he might just win, you might just win based on that, and I mean, like I think that's the danger of letting our infrastructure like become this degraded in the first place, but then letting it stay disintegrated while people are actually watching. But I know Owen, we are running out of time, so we're gonna let you have the last word. And after you're done, make sure you tell people where they can find you and keep up with your work. Yeah, um, man, last word on that. I don't really think I have a lot to add to that. I mean, I think that's pretty accurate. I think I think the things that that all all three of us have been ta- talking about have been pretty dead on as far as like kind of diagnosing the problem um how to fix it is another question and you know uh i i think that i guess i would just say that they're like i, I the the three main takeaways for me are that um democratic party is going to keep on rap fucking progressives whether to protect incumbents or to stop the left wing or more likely a kind of a combination of the two uh that's going to continue to happen um and we just need to you know kind of just push back on that by not allowing the bigotry of low expectations to uh quote our good friend george w bush when it comes to what we expect from infrastructure and the government and and try and have people expect more things. And I know I said there were going to be three things, but there are three things in that <laughs> sentence. I just didn't number them. That is, that is exactly, that's exactly true, Owen. I agree with you. You did not number them. Uh, but this was also your third time <laughs> on the show, so I did all the numbering for us. And also, Owen, where can people keep up with your work? I know you're writing over at Common Dreams right now. Is that it's Common Dreams, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, um I'm not with them anymore. Um, I'm back j- doing original reporting. Uh, just find me on Twitter, E-O-I-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S underscore. Um, and I, I link to my work. It's always been to the top of the page. We will link Owen's Twitter handle in the description as always. And also the article, or his article at The Intercept with more so you don't have to look too far if you've been listening to this episode. I will agree with you, Owen. We can't succumb to the bigotry of low expectations. We have to just, you know, stay uh, engaged with the bigotry of, uh, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'm going to let that one go.